Corinthians and chapter 8 and verses 1 to 9. Now, as we read, you'll remember that we've looked at this a number of times and we've looked at giving ourselves to God when it comes to giving. Uh, We've looked at giving joyfully and today we're looking at giving generously um, as we read this passage together. Paul's writing to the uh, church in Corinth and he's talking to them about the example of the Macedonian churches and he's urging them to give in the same way that they have given. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 1 to 9. Now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they've been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes, for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God might give them. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to complete your share in this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm and such love for us, now I want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. I'm not saying you must do it, even though the other churches are eager to do it. This is one way to prove your love is real. You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was, though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And we look forward to God speaking to us through his word this morning. We're just going to come together and pray now. And um, I just want to let you know um, that tomorrow is a significant day for us as a church, as a number of our um, people are in operations tomorrow. Cheryl Newman is uh, tomorrow going into hospital. Um, She's had tests recently that have revealed that the cancer in her breast has returned. And so tomorrow is a day where she'll be operated on. Um, And so she'd value our prayers. And Cheryl and Nick are here today and we want to pray for you and for the uh, doctors and it would be a real success, the operation. Also, I want to pray for Mavis Perini, who tomorrow goes in to have an operation for a hip replacement. And uh, we just want to know you, to to, to know for you, Ray and Mavis, that we're praying for you. And uh, we would uh, be praying too for those that will be operating on you and for a great, speedy recovery. Why don't we gather together as a church and lift up our hearts to him at this moment. What a great, generous God you are. We want to thank you, our Father, for all that you have given us. Uh, We want to uh, count our blessings daily. And God, when we do, we just realise that the joy and the thankfulness of what you've given us overflows from within us. God, thank you that though you were rich, You sent your son, Jesus, to become poor and to live amongst us, 
to give up all that he had so that he could live on this earth and die for us so that through him we could come to know you. Oh God, we're so thankful. Thank you this morning for the new life that we have in you, for the hope of eternity that is sure and steadfast, that our trust is in you, great God, who is always faithful, always keeps your promises. And God, that we know now that though we might be going through all times, types of hardship and trials, we know that you're with us. We know that you will provide for our needs. And God, we know that when we're weak, then you're strong and you give us what we need. So we want to lift up uh, Cheryl Newman before you now and we just pray for her. God, we ask that tomorrow would be an operation where she senses your presence right through that, your peace, your surrounding love and comfort. And God, we pray for those that will be operating on her and we pray that you'd give them uh, great wisdom, great skill and God, that uh, her recovery would be quick and that the operation would be effective. God, thank you that you love Cheryl and Nick and the family and for your promise that you are with them right through this. God, we pray for Mavis and, and Ray Perini and we just want to ask that you would be with Mavis tomorrow right through the operation and in the preparation before it too. And God, we pray for skill again for those that will be operating. God, we thank you that you know each one and we thank you, God, that uh, you've promised that you'll be there through it. God, we pray for great recovery and great healing for Mavis too. And we lift her up before you now. God, for each of us, we just want to cry out to you now for areas where we need you most in our lives. Some of us are facing financial difficulties. Some of us are facing different sicknesses where we're needing treatment and also facing many operations. God, some of us are through facing really difficult relational issues. And right now in these moments, we just cry up, out to you and ask, God, would you be our strength? Would you help us keep our focus on you, our trust in you, and that we would draw from your resources every moment? Maybe in this quietness, you might just cry out to God for help in those areas that you have most. And God, here we are, your people. We're here to worship you, to hear what you have to say to us, to give you ourselves again. Be glorified as we continue to surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great joy it is to worship our God. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really happy that today is the uh, Sunday the 18th of February. I'm really glad because, uh, because today is today, it means that Valentine's Day has already passed. <laughs> it's over. I, I've got to admit to you that Valentine's Day makes me nervous. Um, I think to myself, am I going to buy Mandy something or am I not? Uh, is she going to get me something or is she not? You know, those things can make you a little bit nervous. Um, and there's kind of two schools of thought that often go around in people's heads. And um, 
some people think it's just a big commercial exercise, you know, where uh, companies have just uh, are out to get our dollars, and therefore, you know, we should just avoid it happily. You know, there are some people that say they're out to get our dollars. Don't give in to commercialism. Just tell the one you love, you love them, and that's it. On the other hand, there are some people that think it's the perfect opportunity to be told and to be shown that you're special and to be shown it in a generous manner. And every year I get nervous because I'm wondering which one Mandy's thinking in her head this year. You know, the, the problem uh, is the size of the gift. You know, it might be too much. It might be over the top. It might be too expensive. It might even seem ridiculous. But if it's given generously, it seems that there's no doubt about it. You know, the person who gives generously to the one who's receiving the gift really loves that person, so it seems. Did you know uh, in the US, the average man is expected to spend the equivalent of $199.11 Australian dollars, that is, on their loved one at Valentine's Day. That was reported in the Gainesville Sun this week in America. Uh, the majority of men they interviewed to, to talk about that said that they plan on purchasing a special dinner uh, followed by flowers and uh, candy. Some of us are squirming, aren't we, men, at this time? But it seems there's no doubt about it. The person giving generously, uh, by all appearances, really loves the one that they're giving to. Uh, Sandy Taylor, she's been up here singing and she's the Wackham, which is the Worship and Creative Arts Ministry Director. But she also, at Valentine's Day, picks up another hat. She's a florist and she goes to the florist and helps out. And she was telling me that 12 long stem roses cost $80 to buy. Yeah, and they're really popular, apparently. She, she told me, I don't know whether I'm allowed to share this, but... There's one guy in Wodonga, and it could, he could be here this morning, who spent $400 on flowers this, uh, this Valentine's Day. And he organised for $100 each day of flowers for four days to be sent. Is that anyone here? No. <laughs> yeah, all hands going up everywhere. I see you guys. But it seems there's no doubt about it. You know, the one who gives generously really loves the one to whom they give. Some of you know that person. I can tell the whispers. You're going, yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Mandy and I, we snuggled up on the couch <laughs> and we watched the Scarlet Pimpernel again. <laughs> <laughs> and we ate uh, heaven ice cream uh, that we'd, we'd saved up for the night. And we had a nice, real coffee together. And by all intents and purposes, Mandy loved it. Is that right, honey? Yeah, great. <laughs> she was happy. The one who gives generously, it seems, loves the one to whom they give. Um, now, you don't have to give expensive presents to your loved one for that to prove that you love them. Like, it's, it's true. There are other ways to show that you love someone rather than giving expensive presents. That's right, isn't it? 
Ben... <laughs> Preach it. But it sure helps to give expensive presents, doesn't it? <laughs> but on the other hand, can you imagine a relationship where love is not expressed? You know, where uh, it's not expressed very often at all, if ever. I mean, if, if there's a relationship where uh, love is not shared very often, it's really tough. There's trouble in that relationship. On the other hand, those who spend generous amounts of time in conversation together or thoughtful acts like picking up after yourself or doing the dishes, uh, if people are generous in that, it's great. Kind words let each other know that they're special and that they're valued. And if there's generosity shown in those areas, wow. Making time for each other. Listening. Really listening and understanding how the other person feels. Physical touch. Just a holding a hand or a, or a hug. And giving a thoughtful gift at just the right time will help build a strong relationship full of love. You know, generosity it seems, really shows the love that we have for the person to which we're showing generosity. Now, there's a wise saying that has a caution about this. And it says, you can give without loving. So, you can give those big expensive gifts and not love the one you're giving to. It's possible. But the end part says you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Uh, giving is a way of expressing love. And generous giving shows that we really love the one to whom we give. Uh, people who love, give. Uh, today I want to talk, I want us to focus together on Giving generously to God. And we've talked about giving for the last uh, two weeks. This is our third week. And we've talked about giving ourselves uh, to God first. That's the starting place for Christian giving. And we've talked about giving joyfully to God last week. And today I want to talk about giving generously to God. You know, the passage that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he's reminding the people in Corinth about the instructions that he'd given to them in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And remember that he said that he would be coming to them soon and that he wanted them to put aside a little amount each week so that when he comes he would be able to take their offerings, their gifts that they'd given and he would take them off to the churches in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, to help those people and to give to them. Now, we um, remember we've talked about the fact that the churches in Jerusalem were going through hard times. They had lots of people in those churches. Remember on the day of Pentecost, there were people all over that had come to Pentecost for that celebration and 3,000 people became Christians in one day. Now, many of those would have returned to their places, but people that didn't have jobs to go back to or other things would have hung around in Jerusalem and the church would have had to provide for those people, to care for them, to feed them, to house them, and the needs were enormous. 
and it was taxing on the church in Jerusalem. Not only that, there were Jews who had now seen that their fellow Jews had started to believe in Jesus and they were really angry about that. They were suffering persecution in the church in Jerusalem. But on top of that as well, there was a famine that was going through Jerusalem. And so they were hit hit on either side, all around. They were suffering in many ways. Now you remember, why would Paul be coming and wanting to take money from the Gentile church in Corinth and take it back to the church in Jerusalem? Well, you remember that on the road to Damascus, a bright light came and the risen Lord Jesus came to him and said, you know, Paul, I want you to go and I want you to take the gospel to the Gentile people. I want this to be your life calling. So Paul start about, started about doing that. He started preaching to the Gentiles and taking the message to him. And as we've talked about before, the church in Jerusalem said, hang on, what's going on with this guy? You know, he's, we're taking the gospel to the Jewish people He's taken him to the Gentile people. We better call him in and and find out what's going on there. And Galatians 2, verses 6 to 9, sees Paul before the leaders in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem. And they listened to Paul and they heard why he was sharing to the Gentiles. And they listened and they sensed that God was really saying to Paul, this is what you should be doing. So they affirmed this. They said, go and preach to the Gentiles. Go and minister to them. But the one thing we ask you to do is to remember the poor. Remember the poor. And Paul said, I was already going to do that anyway. That's right. So what he did was he went round and it became the passion of Paul. He started to go round to all the churches and ask them to put aside money so that he could come and take that offering and take it back to the church in Corinth, uh, in Jerusalem. During his um, third ministry journey, missionary journey, Paul had collected money from churches in Macedonia. So he went to church in Philippi, to Thessalonica, and to the people in Berea. And they had given money, though they were poor. They weren't these rich, uh, rich churches either. They were suffering persecution and they were suffering hardship as well. And they were in deep poverty. And in fact, Paul was surprised by their giving. They'd given more than expected. And in the verses today, we're going to see that, that they had given really generously in that time. Uh, we looked three weeks ago about this Macedonian churches and Paul using them as an example to the church in Corinth. And he was so impressed with the Macedonian church's giving to the offering because, firstly, he noticed why they'd given so, so much. Because they'd given themselves first to God. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Then last week we looked at how they had deep poverty, but that mixed with joy turned into a joyful giving. They gave joyfully. And it was a great pleasure. They said, please help us give, please help us give. And today we, we see that they also gave generously. Because they'd given themselves to God, to, first, to God first, they gave generously. They had experienced his generosity to them in providing forgiveness, freedom, and giving them the gift of their own, God's giving them the gift of his own dear son. And now they had responded with the same kind of generosity that God had given to them. So why don't we look in the passage that we have before us open and let's just look together again at these first couple of verses here. Um, Paul says, Now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for for the churches in Macedonia. 
Though they've been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. Now, I want to just let you know the situation here in these verses is clear. Much trouble and hard times. They would have been going through much trouble and hard times. They had been facing uh, challenges of persecution that had also been challenging of finding that they didn't have very many resources at all. So the situation is hard times, difficult times. Uh, the resources that they had, what were the resources that they had? Well, they had two things. Wonderful joy, which is a great resource to have when, you're in, when you've got in a situation of much trouble. And the other thing that they had was deep poverty. Remember last week we talked about this being not normal poverty? You know how we talked about uh, the NIV says they had um, extreme poverty and we talked about, hey, extreme sports, uh, you know, what are you, bungee jumping and snowboarding and all those kind of things. Normal sports are like bowls and cricket, you know. And they had extreme poverty, not your normal poverty. So, situation, troubled times, hard times, resources, wonderful joy on one hand and extreme poverty on the other. And you put those things together and what was the outcome? Well, it was overflowing, rich generosity. I think the evidence is that these people had clearly given themselves to God. His spirit was at work within them and the fruit of the spirit of joy was coming out in situations where it would normally not humanly come out. You know, uh, normally when we're in a situation where there's much trouble and hard times, joy is not the first thing for a, a human being to experience. But they were experiencing evidence of God's spirit at work in their lives because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. God was at work in their lives. And when God is at work in troubled circumstances and tough times, the outcome is far different than what we would normally expect often. So your difficult circumstances this morning, whatever they are, tough financial times, it could be for you. Unemployment, it could be for you. I'm trying to find work and just can't find it at the moment. Uh, pending surgery. You know, the, the difficulty of facing more and more treatment, which is just draining you. Criticism. Maybe you're being severely criticised at this time. Misunderstood. Maybe you're, you're misunderstood in the things that you're doing. Maybe you're being judged. Any of these circumstances. You could just keep going on and on and on with troubled circumstances. But if you add that to a life that's surrendered to God and the fruit of his spirit being experienced in your life, then the outcome is not a defensive taker who's saying, I need this, I need this, I need that, but someone who's overflowing in generous generosity instead of saying, that's it, my circumstances mean that I'm closing down shop. What an incredible thing. Generosity. Though you have little, that's incredible. That's God at work. Generosity when work is difficult to find. That's amazing. That's not normal. 
Generosity when facing surgery. Generosity towards God when facing surgery. Towards friends, to others. That's incredible. Troubled circumstances. Deep trials. With not much resources. Deep poverty, but joy. In this circumstance for the Macedonian church led to great generosity. And I found that's the key to giving generously to God. It starts with giving yourself to God. I've just got three quick points to share with you this morning. If you want to write them down, you can. Giving generously to God uh, begins with giving what's expected. I want you to notice here that Paul goes on and he says in verse 3, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it out of their free will. They gave beyond what was expected. In verse 5, have a look what it says. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes, for their first action was to dedicate themselves to God. Paul says here, they went beyond our highest hopes. They did more than what Paul had hoped for. Paul had an expectation of what he wanted them to give. He had an expectation that they would give a certain amount, but they excelled it. And I want to say that generous giving to God starts with giving to God what's expected first. You know, just give to him what he requires first. Now, um, I think what, what they were talking about here was giving regularly to God. And the Bible talks about the principle of giving a tithe. And what would happen regularly in the early church was that they would give for those that were teachers and leaders in the church so that they wouldn't have to do other work to fund themselves. And the regular giving that they gave would be given the continued giving each day, each Sunday, each first day of the week, and they would give to them. Now, the tithe is the basic starting point, the expectation, what, what, what we can use as a benchmark for giving. Now, just people say, what if I can't afford to tithe, to give 10% of what I earn to God? Well, I'd say you can't afford not to. It's just the start of being generous towards God. It's the bottom, it's the basic start. If you want to start God's blessing on your finances, if you want him to be in control of all that you have, you need to give to him and you need to obey what he said. Now, just eight quick things about tithing and don't want to spend too long here because this is just the first part of giving generously to God. Uh, why, should I, why should we tithe? Why should I tithe? Because, it, 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 because God commands it. You know, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 27 and verse 30, he said, a tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Why else? Because Jesus commended it. You know, he said, uh, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. That's in Matthew 23, 23. Uh, thirdly, tithing demonstrates that God is first place in my life. You see, uh, verse, uh, Deuteronomy 14 and verse 23 says that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. You know, uh, when you receive your income, to give God the first 10% is saying, clearly, God, you take 
priority in my life. You're number one. Uh, Fourthly, tithing reminds me that everything I own was given to me by God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to become rich. God has owned everything that I have and it's been given to me by God to be his steward. Uh, Fifthly, tithing expresses my gratitude to God. What can I offer to the Lord for all that he's given to me? Well, I can give to him. Um, And sixthly, tithing, God says that refusing to tithe is stealing from him. He says it as clearly as that in Malachi 3, 8 to 10. What will a man, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, says the prophet. But you ask, how do we rob you? God says, in tithes and offerings. Bringing your whole, bring your whole tithe into my house. A seventh reason, just giving you them rapid fire, is that tithing gives you a chance to prove that God uh, exists and He wants to, to to bless you by tithing. You're saying, God, I'm asking, I'm putting my trust in you, and I'm asking you to do your bit. Test me in this, God says in Malachi. An eighth point is that tithing proves that I really love God. If you love me, you obey my commands, John 14, 15 says. Now, people say to me, hey, you know, that's, it's not a law that you have to tithe. And I think what, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that that was a, a command that God gave. And it's true that to say that it's a law that we have to tithe, you know, I agree. But if anything, when I hear people say there's not a law to tithe, what I often find is that people who don't believe that it's a law give much less than the tithe. And I think the principle in the New Testament is not that it's a law to tithe, but that we're to give everything, our whole selves to God and give to him fully. And I think that when we give in the New Testament, it becomes just the benchmark of us to, to keep giving to God. It's the starting point. It's the baby steps. We don't want to make it a law, but it's a principle that I think God really wants us to honour. So some people say, uh, I'm going to be generous to God, Jonathan. You know, I'm going to really give. I'm going to put in 50 bucks next week. You know, don't put in anything normally, but this time I'm going to give 50 bucks. That's generosity. And I just want to say... Uh, being generous to God starts with what's expected. And if you're not giving your tithe, that's the best place to start because 50 bucks when you a tithe of what you give is 5,000. If you give 50 bucks off a one-off, you might think it's generous, but it's, it's nowhere near what God expects. Do you see what I mean? So regular giving is, is the start of generous, generosity through a tithe, giving weekly. Uh, the second thing for generous giving to God is that it goes beyond what was expected. Have a look. Uh, they, they just didn't give what was expected, Paul says, but they went beyond what they were giving. They gave even more. The churches were generous and it amazed Paul. They were excelling in giving. Even though they were poor, they gave generously. It, this reminds me of what happened in Exodus 36 Uh, chapter 36 and and verses 3 and 7 there. Uh, When building the tabernacle, it says Moses was faced uh, with a real curious problem. This is what it says there. And the people continued to bring 
free will offerings morning after morning after morning. The people were restrained from uh, bringing offerings. They had to say to them, you know, we've already got enough. This is what it says. The people were restrained from bringing more and more because they already had more than enough to do all the work. So here is the building of the tabernacle. They had to say, stop giving. You're going beyond our expectations. You're giving so much that we can't keep it all. Stop it. What a great position to be in. You know, when people catch a vision of God's work, they can hardly be held back from giving. When you know what he's wanting to do and he's caught your heart and you want to give to him, it's hard to stop him. I mean, I think out of that woman that came to Jesus, Mary, she anointed him with costly ointment in Mark 14 and 3 to 9. And some people criticised her and said, you know, why are you being so lavish and wasteful with this perfume? And, you know, and generous giving to the Lord may be labelled as, you know, uh, irresponsible or fanatical by others, you know, and we don't want you to give irresponsibly getting into debt, you know, that you can't repay. But Jesus labelled her generosity as love. He says that he was so moved by the woman's giving that he vowed that wherever the gospel is preached through the world, what she had been, had done would be told in memory of her. You know, the truth is that those who are most reasonable and calculating usually give less. But love generates lavish giving. At the Feast of uh, Purim, there was a regulation that however poor a man is, he must find someone poorer and give to them. You see, no matter how poor you are, you might be thinking, well, I need to be given Money, You know, I'm poor, I'm poor. But giving beyond what is expected, you know, the second principle is that they, they would find at the poor, someone who is poorer than them and give to them and help them. It's great advice. And here's the Macedonian churches saying, we're in desperate straits, we're in extreme poverty and we're going to give generously anyway. No wonder it blew Paul away. He's encouraging now these wealthier Gentile Christians and he's saying, you guys do the same. Excel in giving. Really, go ahead, do it. I think what we see here in these Macedonian churches is that they'd really grasped this thing that you can give beyond what's expected when you really believe, you know, what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 4 and verse 19, he said, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. You can give when you know God is going to supply your needs. You can be generous no matter what your circumstance, what your financial status, whatever your, uh, whatever your status is in any area. You can be generous knowing that God will supply your needs. It's right through the Bible. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father noticing it. He says, look at the lilies and they're dressed in so much splendour and your Father in heaven will not fail to clothe you in the same way that he clothes the lilies. And the Bible constantly says that God will look after your financial needs. Your financial wants? No, no promises there for you. But... 
financial needs, your, your own needs to live, definitely says that there. So the Macedonians in desperate straits gave beyond what was expected. They gave generously because I think they knew God would supply their needs. So the first thing, uh, giving generously, generously to God starts with what's expected. Uh, giving generously to, to God goes beyond what's expected. And thirdly, giving generously to God brings results that are unexpected. Giving generously to God brings results that are unexpected. Why don't we turn in our Bibles to uh, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. And Paul's still talking to the church in Corinth about giving. And he starts in verse 6 of chapter 9. And listen to what he says about being generous and the results that are unexpected. Look what he says here in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Remember this, a father who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your mind how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. There's that joyful part. And God will generously provide all you need. That's just what we talked about before. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, godly people give generously to the poor though their, needs will never, their, their good deeds will never be forgotten. Verse 10, For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat it. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Oh, what he, what's he saying? That people who are generous will uh, receive, you know, continue to be generous and you'll be more and more generous because of your generosity. And then verse 11, yes, you'll be enriched so that you can give even more generously. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will break out in thanksgiving to God. So two things will happen, two good things will happen. The needs of the Christians in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanksgiving to God. You will be, you will be glorifying God through your generous gifts for generosity to them will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the wonderful grace shown through you. Thank God for his son, a gift too wonderful for words. I think Paul here uses at the start of this passage an agriculture figure you know, of sowing and reaping and what he talks about is he says, planting generously or sowing generously. And that means, um, you know, in this context, giving our money generously to those who are in need. And the word for generously is the same word as translated, you know, blessing. When you give, you're giving a blessing. And the farmer who we see sows, sows with the hope that there will be a blessing from what he's sowing, that it will be multiplied, that it will return, that there will be something that comes back in return. And like the farmer who sort of um, sows without receiving the immediate rewards, we give when we give generously, looking to God and trusting in faith that he will bring the rewards. You know, I think about that when we think about now what we're, what we're looking at for next week with the building of the extension. And yes, will we see the benefits of your giving 
generously now? No, no, we, we won't. But as the building goes up and as God continues to work in this church and it continues to use, we continue to use the space effectively and year after year, lives are transformed in those things, we will see God reaping and reaping from our giving. It's something that we don't get the results of now like we might get when we give to McDonald's. We get the results immediately and afterwards feel it quite strongly. Uh, In this case... We give now, trusting in God for the rewards in the future. It's a principle uh, that requires faith and it's an expression of God's grace to the one to whom the gift is given. And it makes us dependent on God and his character and we're saying, God, we're giving to you and we're hoping that you will use this and give a great return on this investment. Uh, The obvious is stated here. Give generously and You'll, in order to reap an abundant harvest, you must sow liberally. You must plant liberally. Plant a lot of seed and the possibility of getting a great harvest is, is huge. If you plant a little, well, you're not going to get a big harvest coming back. And Paul discusses, discusses this same principle again in Galatians 6-7 where he says, you reap what you sow. And Jesus summed it right up as well. He said... If you give, uh, give, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. It's pretty clear what Jesus is saying. That's in Luke chapter six and verse thirty-eight. If you give generously, you'll receive. Generously. If you give sparingly, you'll receive sparingly. just want to tell you, I've found this principle true in my life without even really meaning to find it true. <laughs> um, I, it's 12 years ago now that I was at AMP, in AMP Financial Services, and I was trained there that money was important and financial security was important. And 12 years ago now, at this very time of year, I was rounding things up to go to Bible college. I can remember um, praying and asking God about my future, and I just sensed that he wanted all of me first. You know, I believe he wants all of you exactly the same way. But for me, personally, uh, that, that was, I felt God was saying, go, into, go to Bible college, train for ministry. You know, I don't think he says that to everyone. But for me, it was clear that's what God was saying. Now, I can still remember leaving AMP, uh, driving out of the car park in my Datsun 240K, which my grandparents had gave me and had rust right through it. And I remember as I went out thinking, God, I, I'm trusting you with everything that I have. I might never own a nice car. I might ever, never own a, a house. I might never have a... A family. I don't know. I'm just trusting you with everything that I've got. And uh, I knew that that would now require $5,500 each year for tuition and payments and a new computer that I'd need to buy for my studies. And all the savings plans that I'd been saving for a rainy day were all depleted within the three, four years that I was studying at the Bible College of Victoria. In that time, I just knew that God wanted me to obey him and to do what he wanted me to do. So I tithed. I met Mandy and we married and we started tithing regularly 
um, all the time. And then we try to give more than the tithe. And, you know, I just stand here today, 12 years on, and I think, I didn't even try. You know, this wasn't a planned thing, but God has been very, very faithful to us. And I'm not talking about just finance, although I think we're just so blessed where we are ourselves as a family. But I'm talking about in every area of our lives. Uh, All I did was surrender and sought to do that every day. And I've just seen God saying, hey, this is my principles. You reap what you sow. I think about that for us and I couldn't be more overwhelmed with thanksgiving for God and his promises. But I think about that for our church. And here we are standing here today and I think that is true of our church. You reap what you sow, don't you? Let's have a look at this first photo. I want to show you this photo that comes up now. This is the, the very uh, first opening of the uh, laying of the foundation stone at uh, the first Wodonga Baptist Church in 1952. It was down in Woodland Street and there's someone there who you will, you will notice now. I don't know. I'm not, not going to be able to do this. But you see the man on the left and you see the yeah, little girl. Yeah, that one there. Can you see that girl? That's Joan Cummins. <laughs> She's just as cute today, isn't she? <laughs> but there's little Joan Cummins who's out there he- heading up our um, children's ministry. And this was the very beginnings of the, the work here in, in Wodonga in 1952. This was what the building looked like in, in Woodland Street. Let's go to the next one. That's what our first church was like in Woodland Street. And it's still there today. I think it's, it's is it the, um, anyone know, it's the Yugoslavian church or something? Yep, something like that now, still there. Also, the third photo um, is on the um, left-hand side is the Reverend Bob McMillan from Albury Baptist. Um, he'd come over and um, was starting the work. Reverend Jack Manning, who was a BUV um, secretary, is next to him. Then um, Bill Henshaw, who was the church secretary at that time, and Alec Woodward, and he was um, the, the church treasurer, and he's Joan's dad. Um, now... These, these people right at the very beginning of that church in 1952. Now, fourth photo, handing over the keys, Bob McMillan, handing it over to Alec Woodward, um, who these guys just you know, generously gave of themselves so that this building could, could take place. Next photo. Then, here we have later on in 1988, this is in the border mail, this photo, and that's the beginning of the earthworks here on this site. And it's the Reverend Alan Neat is there. He's on the left-hand side. And next to him is Alec Woodward again. And there, by faith, beginning the work here in this, this building that we're in now. It's just a few years later when the opening occurred. And there's the Reverend Kingsley Smith and Alan Neat together in the church at the first building. I just think our church has been a church that has taken great steps of faith and given beyond themselves generously and we today are those people that have benefited so much by their steps of faith, by their generosity. And I think that God continues to say to us, you reap what you sow. 
You know, give what's expected. Give beyond what's expected. And give in, and, and see that God will bring results that are unexpected. I wonder about you this morning. Have you taken the very first step in your life of giving yourself to God? Just a simple question. Does God own you? You surrendered your life to him. How many of you have surrendered uh, your finance, your family, your career, your everything? Have you made the decisions that I made when I left AMP just to say, God, wherever it is, whatever you're wanting, I'm yours. Have you, have you done that? I mean, because that's the foundation for everything else in life. And living as a Christian is all about giving. All you need to do is to ask him into your heart, to ask him to be your Lord and Saviour, to say that you're sorry for all the things that you've done and to give your life to him. You know, I'd love to chat to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about that because that is the, is the beginning. You know, if you want to talk about that at any time, talk to me or any of our pastors and ask how you can make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the first step. The second step is saying, have you come to a place where you're giving what's expected? I'm talking about regular, habitual giving, which just shows week in, week out, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. My whole life is generously giving to God. Are you doing that uh, each week? Are you doing that each day to God as you give him your life, regularly giving? Well, if you're doing that, it might not be right now, but maybe years on you'll look back and say, wow, I've reaped what I've sown. What an incredible God you are. The unexpected I'm receiving now. Church, as we stand here just a week before next week, I'm just excited about the unexpected that God might do through us. We just happen to be the fortunate ones that are around now as we come to this time to give. And uh, it's exciting, isn't it? Why don't we pray together? Oh, God, we're just humbled by your grace and your mercy and your love. We're humbled by the good things that you give us and the way in which you constantly show your love for us. And, God, we want to we be those that you just know for sure that we've surrendered our whole lives to you. God, help us to be those that give what you expect, that we give regularly, habitually. But God, help us to be those too that give generously beyond what is expected. And God, as we give, we just say, oh Lord, you reap the harvest. You do your good work in us. Have your way on earth. We're your servants. We want to be part of all you're doing. We ask this in your name. Amen.